1: go. Episode 339 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, June 20th, 2022. Hope that you had a nice weekend. Hope that you had a nice Father's Day. Hope that you had a nice Juneteenth. Whatever you celebrated over the weekend, however you celebrated over the weekend, know that we don't judge on this podcast. So whatever you did, however you did it, that's on you, man. Okay. That is on you. But I hope that you enjoyed whatever you did, however you did it. Uh, The weather on Saturday and Sunday, perfect. I mean, how often past mid-June do we in the Washington, D.C. area get days as perfect as this past Saturday and Sunday were? I mean, just terrific. Uh, We deserve that for all of the bad weather. Uh, that we have endured here in the D.C. area over the years. But perfect weather on Saturday for the retirement of Ryan Zimmerman's number 11 by the Nationals. Hey, did you know that the number 11 now is retired by three of the big four pro sports franchises in Washington, D.C.? The Bullets retired Elvin Hayes' number 11 the Capitals retired Mike Gartner's number 11, and now the Nats have retired Ryan Zimmerman's number 11. So that just leaves the Commanders. And you know who wears number 11 for the Commanders, don't you? Commander Carson! Commander Carson, come on down! Hey, maybe 15 years from now, we'll have a ceremony at the stadium in Dumfries, Virginia, okay, for the the retirement of Carson Wentz's number 11. Who knows, okay? Don't dismiss that as a possibility, all right? Don't dismiss, okay? We're only in June. We're allowed to have big thoughts. We're allowed to have happy thoughts with our football team. Hello and welcome to a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. So the commander's break until the start of their training camp on July 27th, of course, just started. And already we have Commander's News to discuss. The news with our football team never stops. Uh, Two major items popped up on Friday. Number one, multiple reports that the NFL has fined Ron Rivera $100,000 and has stripped the Commanders of two OTA practices in 2023. Uh, All of this for the Commanders having had excessive contact during the team's 2022 offseason program. And number two, Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform has asked Dan Snyder to reconsider having turned down the committee's request that Dan testify at this hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal that will be taking place this Wednesday morning beginning at At 10 a.m. Eastern. Coming up, I will discuss both items in depth, including uh, why the commanders having had excessive contact during the team's 2022 offseason program might not have been such a bad thing, even with the penalties that the commanders now have incurred. And also, I'll discuss whether the S word, as in subpoena, is now almost certainly not happening by Congress for Dan, given that that S-word, subpoena, hasn't yet happened. And this hearing is coming up on Wednesday morning. I mean, we're kind of sort of running out of time here, aren't we, if the S-word, subpoena, is going to be invoked. Uh, Also on the show, I will discuss the great job that the Nats did in their retiring of Ryan Zimmerman's number 11 on Saturday afternoon and the Nats weekend in terms of actual games. Uh, Now, the Nats ended up losing four of five games to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park in a five-game series that took place Thursday through Sunday. But the win for the Nats came in the final game of the series, the Sunday afternoon game. And the win came in surprising fashion, a 9-3 win in which Jackson Tatro, in his second career Major League regular season start, pitched shockingly well. Uh, I will talk Tatro. I will talk good outing from Josiah Gray. I will talk overall bad weekend for Juan Soto, although he did smash a three-run homer on Sunday afternoon, and a lot more. I have a capital segment for you on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Yeah, I know we're in the middle of June, but we're talking caps on the Al Galdi podcast, although the reasons for us talking Caps uh, are not happy reasons. The Caps on Saturday afternoon announced two key players, one at the NHL level, one at the AHL level, having undergone major surgeries. Center Nicholas Backstrom and defenseman Alexander Alexiev. Uh, Backstrom's career may be in jeopardy. Like I said, this is not happy news. I'll explain, and I'll talk Orioles. Uh, Good weekend for the O's. They won two or three games Against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, including a 2-1 win on Sunday afternoon as seven Orioles relievers combined for one run in nine innings with nine strikeouts in a bullpen game made necessary by the Orioles scheduled starting pitcher Jordan Lyles being a late scratch due to illness. I tell you, the Orioles bullpen has been so good. So far this season, uh, lots of other things from the series to get into as well. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at yahoo.com. Plenty of feedback to something that I talked about on Friday's show, episode three hundred and thirty-eight. How the commanders twenty twenty-two offseason proves that Ron Rivera thinks that the Commanders are, wait for it, close.
0: It means you're close.
1: Yes, Bruce Allen. Close. Uh, Tweet from E8P on Ron Rivera thinking that the commanders are close, writes E8P. He is not right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tweet from Zim. Close to what is the problem? Fighting for first round exits at best aren't anywhere close to good enough. Uh, yes, Sim, I do agree with you. The goal should be to win Super Bowls. The goal should not be to just make the playoffs. Although I think that the thinking for the commanders this offseason is that they are desperate to just have a winning 2022 regular season and make the playoffs because of the name change, because the franchise hasn't had a winning regular season since 2016, and because there just is so much negativity with the franchise. For all kinds of reasons. Uh, Tweet from Josh in the NFC least, you're always close. Uh, Yeah, Josh, there is truth in that. I mean, one of the more amazing facts in the NFL is that the NFC East has not had a repeat winner for each of the last 17 seasons. I mean, think about that, man. 17 consecutive seasons, we have not had a repeat winner of the NFC East. That is, by the way, an NFL record for division in terms of not having a repeat winner. 17 consecutive seasons now for the NFC East. The last team to win consecutive NFC East titles, the Philadelphia Eagles, who won four consecutive NFC East titles 2001 through 2004. And the reason that the NFC East has not had a repeat winner in each of the last 17 seasons isn't that the division has been so great and so competitive. No, The reason is that the division has been so mediocre and so inconsistent. Well, mediocre, the Washington, D.C. area is not. Uh, This is a terrific area for a lot of reasons. Unfortunately, though, that can make buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area tricky. And so that's why you will do well by going with Kel, as in Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's Close It With Kell, K E L L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. The DC area real estate market is hot. Homes are going under contract quickly after they are listed. And that and low inventory mean that if you're wanting to buy a home in the DC area, you need a smart realtor who can put together an offer that wins. This is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Kellen Hunt wins. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market and he is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want. No matter your age, family situation, or financial situation, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique and Here's maybe the best part. Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkel.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit closeitwithkel.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, as you probably know, it's not often that an NFL coach gets fined $100,000. And so how about the incredible fact now that a commander's coach has been fined $100,000 each of the last two weeks? Uh, This really is something. So Friday afternoon, June 10th, Commander's Head Coach Rod Rivera in a statement announced a $100,000 fine of defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio for his dust-up comments at a post-OTA practice press conference on June 8th. And this past Friday morning, June 17th, we had multiple reports that the NFL had fined Rod Rivera $100,000 and that the NFL had stripped the commanders of two OTA practices in 2023. Uh, All of this for the commanders having had excessive contact during the team's 2022 offseason program. Now, before we go any further, what do you think that Jack Del Rio thinks of Ron Rivera now having been fined $100,000? What do you think that Jack's reaction was to Ron being fined $100,000? There's no way. That Jack is pleased with Ron for having given Jack his hundred thousand dollar fine, especially with Ron changing his reasoning for the fine. Remember, Ron in his statement on June tenth gave one reason for the fine of Jack. Ron at his post mini practice press conference this past Tuesday morning gave another reason for the fine of Jack. I gotta think that Jack, when he <laughs> when he heard about the NFL having fined Ron hundred thousand dollars, the exact same amount. That Ron Find Jack wasn't exactly furious. In fact, I'm thinking that Jack, upon hearing of slash reading about the fine, made sure that he was all alone, okay? Made sure that nobody was watching, made sure that nobody was listening. And then in this moment of solitude, with nobody watching or listening, Jack said this. Ha ha ha! Yeah, I promise you that Jack Del Rio said that. There's no way that Jack did not have a private ha-ha moment over Ron Rivera getting fined $100,000 a week after Ron fined Jack $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. So let's get into what the heck happened here. The NFL fining Ron Rivera $100,000 and docking the commander's two OTA practices for the 2023 offseason. As you probably know, an NFL team is not allowed to have live contact at OTA and minicamp practices. Uh, OTA practices, organized team activity practices, and minicamp practices are non-padded, non-contact practices. Uh, These practices are players practicing in shorts. Uh, The commanders in their 2022 offseason conducted 10 OTA practices and three mandatory minicamp practices. According to ESPN, which obtained a letter that the NFL sent to Commanders General Manager Martin Mayhew informing him of the penalties, uh, the NFL Players Association, per a request to the Commanders, reviewed video of two Commanders OTA practices this offseason, uh, those being practices on June 1st and June 8th, and informed the NFL Management Council that the NFLPA felt that those practices violated the collective bargaining agreement's quote, prohibition against live contact, end quote. Uh, The NFL Management Council, after reviewing the practices, agreed with the NFLPA. According to the letter, the commander's quote, intensity and tempo of the club's interior line play and pass coverage during 11-on-11 drills were at a level where players were clearly engaged in physical contests, end quote. The letter stated that on more than one play, there was excessive contact between players that resulted in players going to the ground, and that, quote, in some cases, players were slow to recover after those collisions, end quote. The letter also said that Ron Rivera needed to intervene when practices became too physical and remind players of the rules and to, quote, maintain appropriate control, end quote, over practice. Uh, We knew that the commander's OTA practice on June 8th featured a violent collision between two players, safety Jeremy Reeves and receiver De'Ami Brown. Uh, that practice was open to the media, and as you may recall, Rod Rivera was very upset with Reeves for his hit on Brown, uh, who suffered a sore shoulder, but nothing more, at least as far as we know. But according to ESPN in a report on Friday, quote, one source said there were collisions worse than that during other practices closed to the media, end quote. Uh, in other words, according to one source to ESPN, the Jeremy Reeves-Diami Brown collision wasn't even the worst collision at a commander's practice this offseason. So is the NFL fining Ron Rivera $100,000 and docking the commander's two OTA practices for the 2023 offseason a big deal or not a big deal? Well, I would say a few things. Uh, Regarding the excessive contact at commander's OTA practices, I got to tell you, I'm not necessarily mad about that. Now, it depends on what the true source of the excessive contact was if the excessive contact was a function of players being out of control and Ron Rivera, Jack Do Rio, and offensive coordinator Scott Turner not having proper control over their players, uh, then yeah, this is bad. This is actually really bad, in fact, because this is a sign of Ron, Jack, and Scott not being able to control their players. And by the way, that was a problem last season with the team's top two edge defenders, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. They did not adhere to the defensive scheme as much as they should. Ron made that very clear as last season went on. And while that revelation didn't make Chase and Montez look good, that revelation also didn't make Ron and Jack look good. I mean, Ron and Jack are the leaders of the defense. Their authority, their authority needs to be respected. And if it isn't, that's a problem. And that doesn't reflect well on Ron and Jack. However, if the excessive contact at Commander's off-season practices this year was a function of players being intense, if the excessive contact at Commander's offseason practices this year was a function of defensive players feeling the urgency of the upcoming season, an urgency that Ron Rivera has preached many times, if the excessive contact at Commander's off offseason practices this year was a function of players wanting to show that they are ready for the upcoming season and specific to defensive players ready for the defense to get off to a much better start than the defense got off to last season, well, then (laughs) I'm not mad about this excessive contact. Now, I don't want guys getting injured, and I'm not in love with the Commanders losing two OTA practices for next offseason, but I don't know how you hate Commanders players being intense and responding to the urgency of the upcoming season if, in fact, those things are what were behind the excessive contact at offseason practices for the commanders this year. So how I feel about the excessive contact depends on what the true source of the excessive contact was. I don't really care about Ron Rivera being fined $100,000. I mean, I don't root for Ron or anyone to lose money. But the belief is that Ron makes around $7 million per year. So he can afford the $100,000 fine. And for all we know, Our benevolent Commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, is covering the fine. The thing that actually bothers me the most, to be honest with you, is the losing of the two OTA practices for next offseason. An NFL team doesn't get many of these OTA practices, and especially for our team, which is a team that needs all of the work that the team can get, uh, you don't want to be losing OTA practices. But at the end of the day, I mean, these are just OTA practices, right? I mean, they don't make or break you. And don't forget that Ron Rivera in Washington's 2021 offseason canceled the team's third and final week of OTA practices. So their value only goes so far. Although I also would say that I believe that Ron made a mistake in canceling that third and final week of Washington OTA practices in the 2021 offseason. Again, our team needs all of the work that our team can get. You know, plenty of other NFL teams have been penalized by the league in recent years for excessive contact at offseason practices. Actually, do you know which team has been penalized a lot over the last two seasons now for excessive contact at offseason practices? The Dallas Cowboys. The NFL last week reportedly fined Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy 100000 $100,000 and docked the Cowboys a 2023 OTA practice for excessive contact during the team's 2022 offseason program. Uh, This off the NFL in 2021, reportedly having fined McCarthy $50,000, having fined the Cowboys $100,000, and having stripped the Cowboys of a 2022 OTA practice for excessive contact during the team's 2021 offseason program. This is becoming an annual thing. The Cowboys being penalized for excessive contact during their offseason program. And yet know this, the Cowboys for the 2021 regular season had the number two defense in the NFL for football outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, did a very nice job last season in his first season as Cowboys defensive coordinator. So perhaps there is something to excessive contact in the offseason, being a sign of a defense being intense and aggressive and focused and poised to be better in the upcoming season. The Cowboys for the 2020 regular season were just number 23 in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. Quinn, in his first season as Cowboys defensive coordinator, took the Cowboys from 23rd in the NFL to second in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. Uh, Boy, would that kind of a rise be nice for the commander's defense this coming season. Well, I'm not sure if Diami Brown considered taking legal action against Jeremy Reeves. Uh, Probably not. Hopefully not. But if Diami did consider taking legal action against Jeremy, Diami surely would call Paulson. And NACE. Paulson and NACE is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. You can call Paulson and NACE at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. The law firm of Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Polson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. trial lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. trial lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and NACE, if you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and NACE and schedule a no obligation appointment. You're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and NACE at 202 902 7611. That's 202 902 7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and NACE that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit Paulsonandnace.com. That's Paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Polson and Nace take care of your family. So it is this Wednesday, June 22nd at 10 a.m. Eastern that we will have a second congressional hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. The first hearing was on February 3rd, uh, the day after the team officially announced its new name as commanders. Uh, This second hearing will take place this Wednesday. Uh, The committee of Congress that has been investigating the commander's workplace misconduct and financial scandals has been the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Uh, That committee on June 1st put out a press release announcing that Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Roger Krishnamoorthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, had sent letters to our commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell requesting that they appear before the committee at a hearing on June 22nd. Uh, The letters requested responses from Dan and Roger by June 6th, the responses did not come until this past Wednesday, June 15th, uh, when Dan said no and Roger said yes. Although Roger will be testifying virtually, uh, Dan said no to the committee via a letter from one of his many attorneys, Karen Patton Seymour. She sent a letter to Representative Carolyn B. Maloney and Representative Roger Morthy. Seymour in the letter said that Dan Snyder offered to send to the hearing another, quote, knowledgeable witness, end quote, who, quote, as a result of their day-to-day responsibilities would be in a far better position to answer questions about the workplace culture, end quote. The committee said no. (laughs) Uh, Also, Seymour in the letter expressed having wanted more information from the committee, quote, to provide assurances that would allay the concerns about the hearing, end quote, and asked that the hearing be held on another date, because Dan Snyder is scheduled to be out of the country on June 22nd, the committee said no. Additionally, Seymour in the letter wrote, quote, although the committee indicated that the hearing would be focused on the historical workplace culture issues, I was informed that the committee would not provide any assurance that the questions directed to Mr. Snyder would be limited to those issues, end quote. And so when we last left this situation, what we were waiting on was whether Congress would use its subpoena power to get Dan Snyder to testify. Well, we on Friday got something else. Representative Carolyn B. Maloney sent a letter back to Karen Patton Seymour asking Dan Snyder to reconsider not testifying at this congressional hearing coming up this Wednesday and saying that Dan's reasons for not testifying were based on things that aren't true. Uh, Chairwoman Maloney in the letter said that Dan could testify at the hearing this Wednesday virtually as Roger Goodell is going to do. Chairwoman Maloney in the letter said that the letter in which Dan denied Congress's request for him to testify at the hearing contained a, quote, number of inaccurate assertions and demands, end quote, but did not contain, quote, any valid reason for Mr. Snyder's refusal to appear End quote. Uh, Chairwoman Maloney in the letter said that the committee, if Dan agreed to testify, would be willing to provide copies of the team's documents produced by the NFL that the committee expects to use during the hearing. She also said that the committee would accommodate Dan's request to receive copies of documents that committee members intended to use in their questioning. Maloney said that the committee was under no obligation to provide those documents, but would do so if Dan agreed to to testify. So the committee, at least according to Maloney, is willing to make special accommodations for Dan. Uh, Chairwoman Maloney in the letter said that Dan, by not testifying, would be refusing to, quote, accept accountability for his actions, for the culture he has fostered within his team, end quote, and that Dan, refusing to testify, would, quote, cast doubt on your assertion that the commanders are now a model of how to make extraordinary improvements in workplace culture. End quote. And then lastly, Chairwoman Maloney in the letter gave Dan a deadline to respond of the following Monday, i.e. today, June 20th at 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, As you probably know by now, there was never any legitimate chance that Dan Snyder was going to say yes to the committee's request to testify at this hearing. And there's no legitimate chance that Dan is going to say yes to this second request to testify at this hearing. Dan doesn't have to testify. He doesn't want to testify. He gains nothing from testifying. Uh, Dan is guilty of having presided over a ridiculously bad workplace culture, if not having participated in the ridiculously bad workplace culture himself. I think everybody knows that at this point. Dan has no interest in owning up to this. I think everybody knows that at this point. Dan is not some sweet, innocent little angel. Everyone knows that. But this letter from Representative Carolyn B. Maloney to Karen Patton Seymour was an attempt to further shame Dan Snyder and to make it so that when this hearing takes place this Wednesday morning without Dan, the committee can say that it tried really hard to get Dan to be at the hearing to testify. And look, the committee is trying to get Dan to testify. But I find it notable that the committee isn't using its ultimate power to get Dan to testify. Subpoena power. I mean, if the committee truly wanted to force Dan to testify, the committee would issue a subpoena for Dan to testify. And don't just take my word on that. Take the word of the attorneys from multiple former Redskins employees, Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz. They last Wednesday issued a statement, quote, we along with our clients are disappointed but not surprised that Dan Snyder does not have the courage to appear voluntarily. We fully expect the committee will issue a subpoena to compel Mr. Snyder to appear. It is time that Mr. Snyder learns that he is not above the law, end quote. Well, the subpoena has not been issued. And maybe a subpoena is coming. okay? but at this point, I don't know how you can feel great about a subpoena coming. You know, when Dan says no by the 9 a.m. Eastern deadline on Monday, if he even adheres to that deadline, then the committee will have 49 hours until the hearing on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Will that be enough time to not just issue the subpoena, but also serve the subpoena? I mean, if I'm Dan Snyder, I'm out of the country right now. I'm on my super yacht in some undisclosed location, so that there's no way that I can be served with a subpoena. There just doesn't seem to be enough time here for Congress to subpoena Dan. And what seems to be the case is that Congress has never wanted to subpoena Dan, because if Congress did want to subpoena Dan, then Congress wouldn't have left itself in a position from which subpoenaing Dan would be so difficult. I actually don't think that Dan Snyder not testifying at this hearing bothers the committee that much. Ultimately, there's only so much that the committee can do to Dan. The committee can't remove Dan as owner of the commanders. The committee can't, like, send Dan to prison. All that the committee can do is shame and embarrass Dan. And Dan and his legal team know this. And so they're playing their games with the committee and coming up with excuses not to testify at the hearing. Now, also on Friday, by the way, was Representative Carolyn B. Maloney introducing two pieces of legislation based off Congress's investigation into the commanders. Uh, the first bill is called the Accountability for Workplace Misconduct Act. Uh, it focuses on what Representative Maloney called the abuse of non disclosure agreements. Uh, NDAs have been a big part of the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. The other bill is called the Professional Images Protection Act. Uh, That's based on the allegations of the lewd videos, the good bits videos of Redskins cheerleaders that were made for Dan Snyder. Uh, The bill would provide employees a say in how and when their images are used for business purposes. Uh, Look, ultimately, these bills probably are the endgame for congressional involvement with the commander, is especially given that this congressional involvement soon may come to an end. As we have discussed, congressional involvement in the commander scandals is being driven by Democrats in the House of Representatives. Everyone, it feels like, is expecting the Republicans to win back the House come the midterm elections in November. Everyone, it feels like, believes that if slash when the Republicans win back control of the House, congressional involvement in the commander scandals comes to an end. Uh, Like I said, Congress can only do so much to Dan. And so the committee doesn't really truly need Dan to testify at this hearing. You know, for all of the talk about Congress investigating the commanders, there's going to end up being a lot more bark than bite to congressional involvement with the commanders. I've always felt that it's very debatable whether Congress should even be spending its time on the inner workings of a football team to begin with. And I do feel like a lot of this congressional involvement is for show. And I say this fully recognizing that what happened in the workplace misconduct scandal was wrong and that Dan Snyder has been a terrible owner for the team and that there is potential good that could come from this legislation That was introduced on Friday. But if Congress really wanted Dan to testify at this hearing on Wednesday morning, then Congress would subpoena Dan. And it doesn't look like Congress is going to be subpoenaing Dan. And that's because at this point, Dan's usefulness to the House Democrats driving congressional involvement with the commanders is just about done. Up next, I'm talking Nationals, a very eventful weekend for the Nats, highlighted by the retirement of Ryan Zimmerman's number 11, and the next day, an actual win in a game for the Nats, if you can believe that. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot to discuss with the Nats, including manager Davey Martinez calling out Juan Soto for his lack of hustle. I'll get to everything after this. Well, when it comes to the Nationals weekend, there were two things. The retiring of Ryan Zimmerman's number 11 on Saturday afternoon and the actual baseball. Uh, Before we get to the actual baseball, some words on the retiring of Zimmerman's number 11. Uh, The Nats nailed this. Uh, The Nats did a really good job with this. As we all learned (laughs) this past October with the debacle that was the then- Washington football team retiring Sean Taylor's number 21. Number retirements are not always the layups that they should be. Well, uh, while the then Washington football team last October blew the layup, the Nats on Saturday afternoon did not blow the layup. In fact, the Nats on Saturday afternoon executed a windmill dunk, okay? This was a tremendous job by the Nats. Uh, The bringing back of so many former Nats players The multiple tribute videos to Ryan Zimmerman, the incorporation of Ryan Zimmerman's family into the festivities, uh, Ryan Zimmerman's speech. Everything about this was top-notch, well-planned, well-executed. I very much commend the Nats on a job well done. I said this on the Nats Chat podcast that I do with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. Ryan Zimmerman, to me, is the modern-day Cal Ripken Jr. for baseball in the Washington, D.C. area, if you grew up in the 1980s and or 1990s in the Washington, D.C. area, Cal Ripken Jr. was the guy for baseball in the D.C. area because D.C. did not have A major league team. And so the Orioles were the team of the DC area, of the DMV. Orioles games aired on what was then Home Team Sports, now is NBC Sports Washington. The O's were covered by the Washington Post and other local media outlets. And Cal Ripken Jr. was the face of baseball in the DMV in the 80s and 90s, in much the same way that Ryan Zimmerman became the face of DC baseball for the early years of the Nats in D.C. And there are a lot of similarities between Cal Ripken Jr. and Ryan Zimmerman. Now, Ripken was a lot more durable than Zimmerman was, but each guy was a big but athletic infielder. Uh, Each guy was a similar hitter in terms of being able to hit for both power and average. Each guy came off as humble and a good teammate and no drama. Uh, Each guy played with the same team for his entire major league career. So, Congratulations to Ryan Zimmerman, well-deserved honor of his number 11 now being retired by the Nats. Uh, As for the actual baseball for the Nats, uh, well, we know that the Nats are not a very good team this season, don't we? Uh, So the Nats retired Ryan Zimmerman's number 11 in the midst of a five-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Five games in four days, concluding a brutal stretch for the Nats of 14 games in 13 days. The wear and tear on the Nats showed. And again, the Nats aren't very good to begin with. The Nats over these 14 games went just 3-11, including going just 3-8 on an 11-game homestand. Uh, The Nats lost the first four games of this five-game series against the Phillies at Nationals Park. Thursday night, a 10-1 loss. Friday afternoon, a 5-3 loss. Friday night, an 8-7, 10-inning loss. Saturday, a 2-1, 10-inning loss. That loss gave the Nats an eight-game losing streak and gave the Nats a 12-game losing streak to the Phillies and gave the Nats a 13-game losing streak against teams in the National League East. But all of those streaks came to an end on Sunday afternoon via a 9-3 win over the Phillies at Nationals Park. And so finally, mercifully, for the first time in like forever, we can say that the manager. Of the Nats. Davey Martinez is, yes, proud of the boys.
0: I'm proud of the boys.
1: Yes, Davey, proud of the boys. Uh, The Nats now are a National League worst 24 and 46 in this 2022 regular season. Well, how about the biggest hero for the Nats on Sunday afternoon? Starting pitcher Jackson Tatro. Who? What? Yes. Jackson Tatro. Uh, The name sounds like the name of a 1970s funk band, but no, I promise you, Jackson Tatro is this guy's name. And Jackson Tatro on Sunday afternoon in just his second major league regular season start was terrific. I could not get over how well Jackson Tatro ended up doing. Three runs, all of which were unearned in seven innings. He became just the third Nats pitcher in this 2022 regular season to complete at least seven innings in a game. Uh, (laughs) This was a shocking performance. Understand that Jackson Tatro is not some top 100 prospect. Uh, The Nats took Tatro in the seventh round of the 2017 MLB draft out of State College of Florida. Uh, The Nats this past Tuesday afternoon, June 14th, selected the contract of Tatro from AAA Rochester. Uh, Really, just out of desperation, the Nats needed somebody to start a game. Uh, Tatro at the time of being called up to the majors had an ERA of 419 over 12 starts for Rochester this season. It's not like he was killing it for Rochester. Uh, Tatro this past Tuesday night in his major league regular season debut, seven runs in four innings and a 10-4 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. But Tatro on Sunday afternoon was really good. Three runs, all of which were unearned in seven innings. He gave up six hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded just two strikeouts, but he threw 91 pitches. He was pitch efficient for the most part. 57 strikes versus 34 balls. Uh, 10 of the 21 outs that he recorded were ground ball outs. And how about. The chutzpah that Tatro displayed in the top of the seventh. He took a comebacker off his lower left leg for a leadoff single by Matt Vierling. Uh, Tatro appeared to be in a good bit of pain, but he stayed in the game and then recorded three consecutive ground ball outs to conclude his outing. What a job by Jackson Tatro on Sunday afternoon. And Tatro's performance actually was a second consecutive quality performance By an ad-starting pitcher, Josiah Gray, in the previous game, the 2-1-10 inning loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Saturday, six scoreless innings. Uh, Now, he threw 117 pitches, okay? Uh, Josiah wasn't nearly as pitch-efficient as Jackson was, but uh, Josiah Gray ultimately gave him the run prevention. Again, six scoreless innings. He gave him just one hit, which was a single. Uh, He did issue three walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch. He recorded four strikeouts, and yeah, he did throw 117 pitches, and he threw a lot of balls, 66 strikes, versus 51 balls but understand uh josiah gray in this game pitched in a game for the first time since a 2-1 10 inning loss at the miami marlins on june 8th uh josiah gray was supposed to have started what ended up being a 9-5 loss to the braves at nationals park this past Monday night, but the start of that game was delayed for an hour and 33 minutes due to rain. Uh, Gray had already warmed up for the game, and so his scheduled start was postponed. Uh, But Gray on Saturday was good, and he lowered his ERA for the 2022 regular season to under 4, 395 uh, over 13 starts in this 2022 regular season for Josiah Gray. This was a wild, trying stretch for the Nats, from a starting pitching standpoint, uh, they had to use all kinds of people and do all kinds of things to make it through the stretch of 14 games in 13 days. The Nats used Johan Adone and Paulo Espino as the team's starting pitchers in the doubleheader on Friday. Uh, the Nats on Friday morning appointed Adone as their 27th man for the doubleheader. He, in a 5 3 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Friday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader, four runs in five innings, uh, gave up seven hits, four doubles and three singles but he did have 6 strikeouts versus 1 walk and while he threw 97 pitches over his 5 innings he did throw 64 strikes versus 33 balls uh remember the nats had just sent adone down to triple a rochester the nats on june 8th optioned adone to AAA Rochester. He, over his first 12 Major League starts in the 2022 regular season, had an ERA of 695. He was struggling at the Major League level. The Nats demoted him, brought him up for just this one start here on Friday afternoon. And, you know, he certainly wasn't great four runs in five innings, but he wasn't awful either. Like I said, six strikeouts. Versus one walk. And then Paulo Espino in the 8 7 10 inning loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Friday night in game two of the doubleheader was about what you would expect. Three runs, two earned in five innings. He only gave up three hits, a homer, and two singles. He did issue four walks into wild pitch. That's not the Paulo Espino who we're used to seeing, but he did have five strikeouts. Uh, He over his five innings through 89 pitches. A lot to digest with the Nats offense over the weekend. Uh, let's start with Juan Soto. So, overall, bad series for Juan Soto. He was an at starting right fielder in all five games. He was an ads number three batter in games one and two of the series. He was an ad's number two batter in games three through five of the series. Now, Soto in the nine-three win over the Phillies at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon did have a big homer. Uh, Soto in an Nats four-run second had a two-out first pitch, three-run homer to the second deck in right field. For a 4-0 Nats lead, the homer went a projected 428 feet per stat cast. But that homer was one of just two hits for Soto the entire series. Yes, a five-game series. Soto had two hits the entire series. And his other hit in the series was a one-out infield single uh, to the left side of the infield in the bottom of the first of the 2-1 10-inning loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Saturday. Soto in the series went just 2-for-19 uh, with a home run an infield single and three walks. Uh, He, upon hitting that infield single on Saturday, got thrown out on an attempted steal. Uh, Soto got caught on an attempted steal, of second base for the third out. And this happened with Josh Bell, who had smashed four home runs over the first three games of the series at the plate. That was a bad out by Soto. Uh, And Soto on Friday got called out by Davey Martinez for not hustling. Uh, Soto, in the 5-3 loss to the Phillies, At Nationals Park on Friday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader in the bottom of the six, grounded into a first pitch 4-6-3 double play on which he did not run all that hard. And Davey Martinez, during his postgame press conference between the two games in the doubleheader, admitted that he was not pleased with Soto. Quote, he needs to start running balls out. As you know... I don't care for that much. Everybody's hustling. Everybody's running. It's a ground ball double play. I know his knee could be bothering him a little bit, but in those situations, it's 90 feet. I just want good effort. End quote. Now, it is worth mentioning that Juan Soto recently did miss two games due to a right knee contusion. Uh, Soto, in game one of this five-game series against the Phillies at Nationals Park, returned from the two-game absence caused by the right knee contusion. He suffered that in the dugout in a freak accident. Uh, this was during the 9-5 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park this past Monday night. Uh, so I'm a bit sympathetic to Soto from that standpoint. Um, but that, I think, is telling that Davey Martinez made it a point to say what he said in that post-game press conference on Friday afternoon after game one of the doubleheader. Uh, Now Soto in the 8-7, 10-inning loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Friday night in game two of the doubleheader uh, did have a nice outfield assist. He in the top of the fifth threw out the ex-nat Kyle Schwarber at second base in Schwarber's attempt to stretch a leadoff single into a double. But overall, Juan Soto is not in a great place, certainly by Juan Soto standards right now. Uh, I mentioned Josh Bell. He was incredible over the first three games of this series. Four home runs over the first Three games. Uh, Bell on Thursday night as an at starting first baseman and number five batter, two for four with a solo homer. And a single. He did have two strikeouts. He did commit a crucial throwing error in the Phillies' seven-run third. But Bell on Friday afternoon in Game One of the doubleheader as an Nat's starting first baseman and number five batter, one for three with a two-run home run to walk. Bell on Friday night in Game Two of the doubleheader as an Nat's starting first baseman and number four batter, two for three with two home runs and two walks. Now Bell cooled off over the final two games of the series, but he was a monster over the first three games of the series. Uh, how about Luis Garcia? Uh, Now, yes, Garcia does remain a work in progress as a shortstop, but also, yes, Garcia is hitting like crazy. Luis Garcia over the final four games of this series, eight for 17 with two doubles and six singles. Uh, The Nats recalled Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester on June 1st, so he's been up for a few weeks now. Luis Garcia in this latest stint at the major league level, 78 plate appearances, batting average of 360, on base percentage of 372, slugging percentage of 507. Like I said, defense work in progress. Offense has been really good. Garcia was an at starting shortstop in every game in this series. Garcia on Friday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader as the Nats number seven batter, two for four with two singles. Garcia on Friday night in game two of the doubleheader, as the Nats number seven batter, two for five with an RBI double and a single, although he was involved in two costly defensive plays. Uh, Garcia in a Phillies three-run third committed a crucial run scoring throwing errors. He with a runner on second, no outs and the game tied at one, fielded a grounder, off the bat of Kyle Schwarber while directly behind the second base bag looked at the runner as he ran to third base and then made a terrible throw to first baseman Josh Bell uh, Garcia thought about throwing the ball to third base and then ended up losing the play at first base and then Garcia was involved in controversy in the Phillies two-run 10th uh, he was called for obstruction in a chaotic occurrence now I don't personally fault Luis Garcia for this, and that's got job by this call, in my opinion. But you had runners on second and third, one out, game tied at six. JT Real Muto hit a single into center field past a diving Garcia, whose glove fell off as he collided with the runner on second base, Reese Hoskins. Now, the runner on third, Kyle Schwarber, easily scored. The runner on second, Reese Hoskins, collided with Garcia as Garcia was making his diving attempt at the real muto single. And Hoskins initially was out by a mile at home plate, but Garcia ended up being called for obstruction with Hoskins in the baseline between second and third. And so Hoskins was awarded home plate. And David Martinez ended up getting ejected by the crew chief, Dan Ayasonia, uh, who just happened to be the second base umpire for this game. I thought that was a bad call by Ayasonia. So I don't really fault Garcia for that. Uh, Garcia on Saturday was an number eight batter, one for four with an infield single, although he had another error in this game, a throwing error. Top of the fourth, a two-out throwing error as he, while moving to his left towards second base, fielded a grounder off the bat of Alec Boehm, but then made a really bad throw to first baseman Josh Bell. The ball went into the camera well behind first base. But then Luis Garcia on Sunday afternoon as it has number six batter, three for four with a double and two singles and no errors for Garcia in that game. So there's a lot to like right now from Luis Garcia offensively. You know, the defense, we'll see. Maybe he's just not a shortstop. Okay, maybe he needs to go back to playing second base, which is what he played for the bulk of his time at the major league level last season. But for now, in this season, uh, let's see if he can play the more important defensive position of shortstop. Give him a shot. You know, the Nats are in a rebuilding season. Wins and losses don't matter this season. And at the very least, it's really starting to look like Luis Garcia can hit at the Major League level. His bat is very much playing in this latest go-round at the Major League level. Uh, mixed series for Lane Thomas. Uh, he did provide the best moment of the series for the Nats. That is true. Uh, Thomas in a 2-1 10-inning loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Saturday in a Nats one-run ninth, a pinch, two-out, opposite field, RBI single to right field, and off former Nats closer Brad Hand. Uh, this tied the game at one. Uh, Thomas did this despite having been down in the count at 1.12, one, and all of this happened in front of a season-best 42,730 fans at Nationals Park. The retirement of Ryan Zimmerman's number 11 on Saturday put fannies in the seats at Nationals Park, and there have not been many fannies in seats at Nationals Park this season, but you had nearly 43,000 at Nationals Park on Saturday. Excellent atmosphere at Nationals Park. And Lane Thomas delivered uh, that big, big hit. pinch two out opposite field. Ribby single to right field off Brad Hand to tie the game at one in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, But Thomas on Sunday afternoon had a crucial error. Uh, Thomas in the 9-3 win over the Phillies at Nationals Park On Sunday afternoon was an ad starting center fielder and number nine batter. He went one for four with a single, but he left four men on base, and he and the Phillies two-run fourth committed a one-out two-base fielding error on a ball hit by Oduble Herrera. Thomas, in attempting to make a backhanded catch, drifted back and ended up dropping a fly ball on the warning track. Uh, That was not a good look. For Lane Thomas, uh, he on Friday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader as the Nats starting left fielder and number one batter went one for five with a good looking RBI double. Uh, Thomas in the Nats one run third, a two out ribby double to left center field on a hit and run to cut the Nats deficit to four one. But then Thomas on Friday night in game two of the doubleheader as the Nats starting left fielder and number one batter 0 for five. With three strikeouts and then two Nats who had big games in the nine-three win over the Phillies at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon, Michael Franco and Yadiel Hernandez. Uh, Franco as an ad starting third baseman, a number seven batter, two for three with a two-run homer, an RBI single, and a walk. And Yadiel, who has really been struggling, he on Sunday afternoon as an ad starting left fielder, a number five batter, three for four with a double, an RBI single, and another single. Uh, and then with the Nats bullpen in this five-game series against the Phillies. You know, I mentioned the craziness with the Nats starting pitching. Crazy weekend for the Nats bullpen, too. Uh, so the Nats on Friday morning, in order to get a fresh arm in the pen, recalled reliever Corey Abbott from AAA Rochester and option reliever Andres Machado to Rochester. However, the Nats on Saturday afternoon recalled Machado from Rochester one day after having optioned him to Rochester. Why? Because the Nats on Saturday afternoon placed pitcher Evan Lee. Uh, The 15-day injured list with a left flexor strain. And this is a shame. Uh, The Nats had used Lee as both a starter and a reliever. But Lee on Friday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader was way off. Uh, He faced eight batters. He got three outs and allowed the other five batters to reach base, including issuing four walks and two wild pitches. He was all over the place. The Nats had Lee undergo testing to make sure that he was okay. Well, he was not okay, and now he's out. For who knows how long, uh, Machado, by the way, had a tremendous escape act in the 10-inning loss on Saturday. Came into the game in the top of the 10th with the bases loaded, nobody out, and the Nats down 2-1. And Machado recorded three consecutive outs without allowing an inherited runner to score. Uh, another great escape act by a Nats reliever in this series came from Carl Edwards Jr. Uh, he on Friday afternoon. In game one of the doubleheader relieved Evan Lee. Edwards came into the game top of the seventh. Runners at the corners began his outing by issuing a four-pitch walk of D.D. Gregorius to walk the bases loaded. That was not good. But Edwards then recorded three consecutive strikeouts. And each strikeout came on a called strike three. Edwards later that day pitched again. Edwards on Friday night in game two of the doubleheader tossed a perfect top of the seventh. And then Edwards in the win on Sunday afternoon, a perfect top of the eighth. With two strikeouts, Coral Edwards Jr., the Nats in February signed Edwards to a minor league contract. He over 21 and a third major league innings for the Nats in this 2022 regular season as an ERA of 295, a whip of 0.84, and a strikeouts per nine innings of 9.28. The Nats may well be able to turn Coral Edwards Jr. from a guy who the team signed to a minor league contract to a trade chip come the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd. I mean, Edwards has been that good for the Nats so far this season. Uh, there was a good bit of bad from the Nats' bullpen in this series. Kyle Finnegan and Tanner Rainey struggled to varying degrees on Friday night in Game 2 of the doubleheader, but I wanted to highlight uh, what went down with Machado and Edwards. Next up for the Nats, a much-needed off day. And then a two-game series at the Orioles. As, yes, we this week have the Battle of of the Beltways, Uh, the battle of the two franchises that could be sold within the next year, given everything that's going on with the Lerner's and the Angelos family. But game one of Nats at the O's, Tuesday night at 7.05, Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game two, Wednesday night at 7.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. All right, before we talk Orioles, uh, I do want to talk Capitals. Bad news, very bad news announced by the Caps on Saturday afternoon. And actually, the bad news was a double shot of bad news. The Caps on Saturday afternoon announced that center Nicholas Backstrom had undergone left hip resurfacing surgery on Friday, and the Caps on Saturday afternoon announced that defenseman Alexander Alexiev of the Caps AHL affiliate, the Hershey Bears, had undergone a surgical labral repair on his left shoulder. Uh, Neither guy is expected to be healthy anytime soon. We'll start with Backstrom. So the Caps on Saturday afternoon announced that Backstrom underwent this left hip resurfacing surgery on Friday in Belgium. Uh, I'm not sure if Dr. Van Nostrand performed the surgery, for those of you who are Seinfeld fans, but yeah, Belgium, that's where Backstrom got the surgery. You don't travel to a foreign country for surgery that is simple, routine surgery, and the camps in their announcement of the surgery cryptically said that Backstrom would, quote, begin his rehabilitation and lengthy recovery process immediately, end quote. So the Caps didn't even put a timetable on Backstrom's recovery. The Caps simply said that the recovery process would be lengthy. Not good. Uh, Backstrom, as you may know, has a substantial history of left hip trouble. Uh, Backstrom underwent left hip surgery in May 2015. Uh, The Caps this past September 23rd, what was the first day of 2021 Caps training camp announced that Backstrom would miss the start of 2021 training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his left hip and was listed as week to week. Uh, Backstrom ended up missing the Caps first 28 games of the 2021-2022 regular season due to his left hip. Now, he ended up having a decent season But Backstrom, shortly after the Caps' season ended with that six-game loss to the Florida Panthers in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, said that the left hip was still very much a problem, and now we have him having undergone this surgery. The 2022-2023 season will be, or maybe I should say would be, Backstrom's age 35 season. Uh, The Caps in January 2020 re-signed Backstrom to a five-year, $46 million contract extension. You know, the Caps have been so fortunate to have Backstrom and forward Alex Ovechkin be as good as they have been for as long as they have been. But, of course, they are human beings. They are mortals. And while Ovechkin incredibly continues to plug along, Backstrom clearly is breaking down. And I don't think that it's being overly dramatic to say that Backstrom's career is in jeopardy. Uh, NHL.com on Saturday had the following headline for an article on the Backstrom situation, quote, Backstrom's future with capitals uncertain after hip resurfacing surgery. And quote, that was a jarring headline to read as a Caps fan, Backstrom's future with capitals uncertain. Uh, and keep this in mind, too, this Backstrom news is the second major surgery news in recent weeks for a key Caps player at the NHL level. Uh, the Caps on May 25th announced that forward Tom Wilson had undergone successful surgery to repair a torn left ACL and was expected to miss six to eight months. Uh, Wilson suffered the torn left ACL in the Caps' 4-2 win at the Panthers on May 3rd in Game 1 of that playoff series. So the Caps are going to begin their 2022-2023 regular season without two key players in Nicholas Backstrom and Tom Wilson and the Caps now have one of their top prospects, defenseman Alexander Alexiev, having undergone this surgical labral repair on his left shoulder. And the Caps on Saturday afternoon, in their announcement of that surgery, said that based on the nature of the procedure, Alexiev was expected to miss four to five months. So the Caps took Alexiev with the number 31 pick in the first round of the 2018. NHL draft. Uh, When I think about the Caps' biggest problems right now, I think about three things. Number one, the goaltending needs to be better. Number two, the Caps' defensemen aren't good enough defensively. And number three, the Caps need to get younger and faster. And you can put those three problems in whatever order that you want. But points numbers two and three that I just listed, the Caps defenseman not being good enough defensively and the Caps needing to get younger and faster, uh, those two items are not helped by this news on Saturday afternoon of surgeries for Alexander Alexiev and Nicholas Backstrom. There are no easy answers for the Caps. The Caps right now are too good to just blow up. I mean, the Caps this season made the Stanley Cup playoffs for an eighth consecutive season. And the Caps aren't just like backdooring their way into the Stanley Cup playoffs year in, year out. The Caps in each of these last eight seasons have made the Stanley Cup playoffs via a regular season in which the team either reached at least 100 points or tracked to reach at least 100 points over 82 games. Keep in mind the 2019-2020 and 2020-2021 NHL regular seasons were shortened due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Caps in each of the first seven seasons of this current eight-season run finished first or second in the Metropolitan Division. So the Caps have not just been sneaking into the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps consistently have been very good in the regular season. The Caps are too good to just blow up, but there's no doubt that the Caps are an older team and the Caps have not been good enough to advance past the first round in each of the last four Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps this season were eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs for a fourth consecutive year. So since winning the Stanley Cup in 2018, yes, the Caps have made the Stanley Cup playoffs in each of the four seasons that has followed winning the Cup in 2018, but each of those postseason appearances has ended in a first round. This is a very tricky spot that the Caps are in right now. The Caps are too good to just blow up, especially considering that the greatest player in the history of the franchise, Alex Ovechkin, still is going strong, but the Caps have not been good enough for four years now. (laughs) I mean, for four years now to get past the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the team is getting older and more injured at some key spots. All right. Well, how about the job by the Orioles over the weekend? Uh, They won two or three games against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The Rays, to me, are one of the smartest, best-run teams in the majors. You know, the Rays, even with having lost two or three games at the O's, are 36-30 in this 2022 regular season. But the O's won the series, which featured three one-run games. uh, Friday night, a 1-0 win. Saturday, a 7-6 loss. And Sunday afternoon, a 2-1 win. As the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column.
3: And the Orioles, again, in the win column.
1: Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's now are 30 and 38 in the 2022 regular season, including 16 and 14 since a 14 and 24 start. Yes, a bad start, but since then, two games above 500 over the last 30 games at 16 and 14. Uh, what a job by the Orioles bullpen in this series. Uh, the Orioles starting pitcher on Sunday afternoon was supposed to be Jordan Lyles, but he was a late scratch due to illness. And so the O's went with a bullpen game, and the results were outstanding. Seven Orioles relievers combined to allow one run in nine innings with nine strikeouts. And the Orioles, quote, starter, end quote, for this game, former Nationals pitcher Austin Voth. Austin Voth for the O's on Sunday afternoon, two and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Really nice work by Austin Voth. Uh, You had Nick Vespi. Given the O's one-and-a-third perfect innings with two strikeouts. You had more dominance from Felix Batista, a perfect top of the seventh, during which his four-seam basketball hit 101.2 miles per hour. Batista is a flamethrower, man. Uh, his ERA for the 2022 regular season now is at 159. But no Orioles reliever has been better this season than Jorge Lopez. And Lopez on Sunday afternoon, one-and-a-third scoreless innings for the save, Lopez now in this 2022 regular season, an ERA of 0.79. The O's in the 2022 regular season have a relief pitching ERA of 319. The Orioles bullpen has been fantastic. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the Orioles bullpen.
3: The pitching today out of the bullpen in a bullpen game, when you find out the morning of, that's incredibly impressive. Um, for me, Voth setting the tone there. Um, you know, telling him a few hours before the game he's going to start and, you know, it's two and two thirds, which he hasn't done in a long time. And then uh, just down the line. I mean, Best be faced in the middle of their order in a big spot. Um, and everybody threw great, so really happy.
2: In your time here, you've, you've had a lot of bullpens made up of guys who are waiver claims, who are maybe cast offs from other orgs who didn't get opportunities. What, what's different in your eyes about this group? in that
3: regard? Where do I start? Um, Makeup, toughness, stuff, um, grit. There's uh, Lopez. You know, Lopez's got 11 saves now. He's got a .79 ERA. He's pitching in the biggest spot in the game against the middle of the order. Um, I bring him in with traffic in the eighth inning. It's unbelievable what he's doing. Um, And then the guys, you know, CNL Batista. If guys are just kind of falling in, falling in. Um, they have really good stuff, and they're and they're showing they're pitching with a ton of confidence on the plate, and uh, it's, it's haven't had that.
1: Yeah, tremendous work by Orioles
3: relievers on Sunday
1: afternoon, and that wasn't the only game in this series in which Orioles relievers delivered. Uh, the one nothing win on Friday night. Jorge Lopez in that game, one in a third scoreless innings, four strikeouts for an outstanding four-out save. Uh, Felix Batista in that game, one in a third perfect innings with three strikeouts, including striking out the side in the top of the seventh, during which that four-seam fastball hit 100 miles per hour multiple times. Even in the Orioles' lost in this series, the 7-6 loss on Saturday, Keegan Aiken in that game, two scoreless innings, three strikeouts. He has been very good this season as a starter turned reliever. Uh, Aiken in this 2022 regular season now has an ERA of 248 and a whip of 0.85. The O's on Friday afternoon reinstated Aiken from the restricted list, which he had been on since last Monday afternoon. Uh, Speaking of coming off the restricted list, uh, the O's on Friday afternoon also reinstated outfielder Anthony Santander from the restricted list, which he had been on since last Monday afternoon, both Santander and Aiken had gone on the restricted list as the O's. Played that four-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays last week. Canada, as you likely know, has very strict COVID-19 rules. Uh, But Santander in this series against the Rays, big in each of the final two games. Uh, Santander in the 2-1 win on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting DH and number three batter. Two for two with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Uh, Santander in a one-run Orioles first, a two-out first pitch solo homer. Santander in the 7-6 loss on Saturday as the Orioles starting left fielder and number four batter. Two for five with an RBI single and another single. And the RBI single was big. Uh, Santander in an Orioles one-run sixth, a two-out full-count RBI single to tie the game at six to complete the Orioles' comeback from a 6-2 fifth-inning deficit. Uh, The O's have a penchant for the comeback so far this season. You know, you'll see that sometimes with a rising young team. The O's have that characteristic, at least so far this season, this ability, this tendency to come back in games. uh, We saw that again in the game on Saturday, uh, which did result, yes, in a loss. Uh, Also back for the O's in this series, in addition to Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini. Uh, He on Friday night returned from a three-game absence caused by a sore right hand. He is the Orioles starting first baseman and number two batter on Friday night, one for four with a double, although he did strike out three times. Uh, Adley Rutschman had a good game on Friday night. He is the Orioles starting catcher and number six batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single, and he went one for one on runners trying to steal. Uh, Also on Friday night for the O's, great start, from Dean Kramer, uh, Kramer in the one nothing win over the Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Friday night. Six scoreless innings, five strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, he gave up just five hits, all of which were singles. Uh, Dean Kramer now over three starts in the 2022 regular season has an ERA of 235. He missed a lot of time with a left oblique strain. Uh, Kramer was on the 10-day injured list from April 11th, retroactive to April 8th to June 5th with the left oblique strain, which he suffered while warming up in the bullpen during an Orioles game at the Rays. An 8 nothing loss at the Rays on April 10th. Well, here we had Kramer on Friday night shining against the Rays, and he's been quite good in two of his three starts here. Kramer in the Orioles' 10-7 win at the Kansas City Royals now two Sunday afternoons ago, June 12th, two runs, one earned in five innings. Uh, good to see this from Dean Kramer. I mean, he's got to keep it going, right? He's only had... Two good starts out of the three, so you want more of a sample size here. But Dean Kramer is a guy who the O's got from the Los Angeles Dodgers in a trade package for third baseman last shortstop, Manny Machado, in July 2018. Kramer was really bad at the major league level last season. Uh, for Dean Kramer in the 2021 regular season at the major league level, 13 starts, 53 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 755. He was twice demoted to AAA Norfolk. But Kramer, at least so far here, got to see more, but at least so far, doing a nice job. Uh, not doing a nice job right now for the Orioles is Kyle Bradish. Uh, this has become really difficult to watch, and you've got to wonder if Kyle Bradish is about to be. Demoted back to the minors. Uh, Kyle Bradish in game two of this series against the Rays struggled for a seventh consecutive start. Bradish in the 7 6 loss to the Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday, six runs in four into third innings. Uh, He gave up 11 hits, a homer, four doubles, and six singles. He issued a walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He did throw a lot of strikes 79 pitches, 54 strikes. Versus twenty-five balls, but he got hit hard again. Uh, Kyle Bradish now over ten major league starts in the twenty twenty-two regular season, an ERA of seven thirty-eight and a WHIP of one seventy-seven. And you know, what's probably working in Bradish's favor as much as anything right now is that the O's just sent down another starting pitcher. The O's on Thursday afternoon optioned Bruce Zimmerman to AAA Norfolk, creating a hole in the rotation. I don't know that the O's want to create a second hole in the rotation, but the O's right now are not getting anything in terms of quality from Kyle Bradish and aren't even getting length. From Kyle Bradish right now. He routinely now doesn't complete at least five innings in his starts. And it's really unfortunate because Kyle Bradish, over his first three major league starts in the 2022 regular season, was quite good. He was especially good in two of his first three starts, and he was excellent in his third start. 5 3 win at the St. Louis Cardinals on May 10th, two runs in seven innings, 11 strikeouts versus no walks. But since then, Bradish has really struggled. I mean, his season has unraveled. Over these last seven starts, the O's recalled Braddish from AAA Norfolk on April 29th. I hate when the Orioles or any team sends a guy up and down, up and down in terms of AAA majors, AAA majors. So I would like to see Braddish work his way through these struggles at the major league levels. But right now, I mean, Kyle Braddish is borderline non-functional. I mean, it is really ugly now. Start in and start out from this guy, and we keep waiting for things to get better, but things are not getting better. So. We'll see. Uh, I mean, talented guy. He was doing really well at Norfolk this season, but uh, lately, not good. And it's now not just you know one or two or three starts in which he has not been good. This is now seven straight starts in which he has been really bad. Uh, No game for the O's on Monday. Next up for them is their two-game series against the Nats at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this week. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.05. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at Yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode three hundred and forty, will feature much more on the Commanders. I'll also welcome on a special guest, Jeff Barker. Of the Baltimore Sun, uh, Jeff has been covering the Orioles-Angelos family feud, uh, and so Jeff will discuss what the heck is going on with that and where it is leading. Are the O's about to be sold, and if so, what might that mean for the never-ending Masson dispute Between the Nationals and the Orioles. As we get set for a two-game series for the Nats at the O's on Tuesday night and Wednesday night, I will have some Masson Dispute food for thought for you on Tuesday's show. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. (laughs)